Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Fuel Your Phantom Podcast. My name is Saint. And me? Well, I'm Jim. Well, and we are back. We're back, baby! We have uh, taken a brief hiatus. Uh, ostensibly for oh. summer break and whatnot, but oh, yeah, uh, a little summer vacation, if you will, and uh, you, you'd better because we did. Well, it didn't exactly turn out that way. Not for me. We'll no. talk to you first, no. Jim. You tell us about your summer vacay, and then I'll go through the the assorted drama that was mine. So, uh, how you been, Jim? You know, good. I did some traveling um, because I had a little bit of time off. I took some time off work, but I also get to. Uh, to work remote at my job, so have laptop, will travel, be a digital nomad, so I got to go out to the East Coast for a little while, uh, went to go visit my lady in Pennsylvania, and uh, we drove down the coast a couple hours, uh, took a little stop in Ocean City, Maryland for lunch, which is a lovely little vacation beach town down there on the East Coast, uh, Chesapeake, and then we went down to uh, Virginia Beach to see a couple of concerts, um, and uh, then we drove back up to Pennsylvania. Uh, into the Lehigh Valley, Allentown, Bethlehem area, and then down to Philadelphia to see another show, and then sort of impromptu, drove up to Schenectady, New York, to see another concert, and then from upstate central New York, drove out to the Pittsburgh area, saw another show, and then came back to southeastern Wisconsin to hang out here for a couple of weeks. So it really has been a very traditional summer vacation in the grand tradition of like high school summer vacations, where you actually get to take some time off from your daily duties and go somewhere and do fun things. We saw five concerts in two weeks and uh, just had a wonderful time uh, bopping up and down the, the East Coast and checking out beaches and sunshine and, and uh, seafood and just having having a wonderful time. Uh, so I kind of have survivor's guilt about that because I know your last couple of weeks was <laughs> not as literally swimmingly. <laughs> okay, just real quick before we dive into that, how many of those five concerts were better than Ezra concerts? Three. Three of those concerts were better than Ezra concerts. And actually, it was really nice because one of those concerts um, was the return after three years of COVID outages of the uh, Schenectady Summer Night, uh, the biggest block party in the Northeast region that they constantly reminded us over the PA system. And it was a really, really good show, and it drew about 20,000 people. So, you know, for a band like uh, Better Than Ezra, who is, you know, considered by some to be a one-hit wonder, even though those of us who are fans know better... Uh, They've got a great catalog of music, and they've got a great following and a lot of loyalty in their fan base. To see them perform in front of, you know, 20,000 people was a uh, a pretty edifying experience. And it was great for them, too. Um, We got a chance to catch up with them after the show. Uh, a little bit, and uh, sort of before the show in Virginia Beach, and just kind of chat a little bit, and they're just having a great time on this most recent tour. They have uh, a new album coming out in the fall. Kevin, their singer-songwriter, guitarist, has got a, a new book coming out in the fall, so we got a that chance to like catch up That sounds like a very good that. reason for him to come on a podcast and maybe talk about you all know, going on. You know, I was thinking the same thing, because <laughs> we heard a podcast... Uh, on the way to the Schenectady show, we had some time in the car, so we listened to, because we didn't have any Feel Your Fandom podcast to catch up on, because we've been on a hiatus, so we listened to a podcast that Kevin did with a gal in Louisiana a couple of months ago, and he talked about all this stuff, which is how I knew to ask him about it, um, but it was a, um, 
it was interesting because anytime that I hear somebody who obviously, and again, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I'm the greatest fan, because one of those shows that we got to see, the one in Schenectady, I was standing next to the guy who pretty much everybody acknowledges is the Better Than Ezra super fan. He's the guy who's been to more than 300 shows and stopped counting at 300 a number of years right, ago. Right, we talked about Writes that. Writes down guy. all the set lists. Yeah, he's English Dave Botwood. He's uh, just a great, great guy. And uh, he's the reason we got to go hang out in the VIP section for that show, so I'll do credit to English Dave. But um, every time I hear Kevin interviewed, people are like, oh, so where did the band get its name? And it's the one question they never answer. They say something about, uh, oh, I never knew you uh, wrote for other artists until I started researching you for this podcast. And it's like, I, I want to just throw my hands up in the air. Because it kind of reminds me of like all those times I would see Hugh Laurie on talk shows. I mean, ah, so people don't even know you're British, so uh, talking a little bit of a British accent there, buddy. And because he's done so many roles where he gets to do an American accent. So, you know, people who just don't know anything about the band, they get him on the podcast and he very patiently answers the same questions for the 4,000th time. And I just thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to write his representation in a little uh, a note. I'm going to drop him an email and see, hey, are you tired of getting asked the same 15 questions every interview you do that you've answered a thousand times? Then you need to come on my podcast because I'm going to ask you about some deep shit because I've been around a minute and I kind of know the questions that I've always wanted other people to ask you that they don't, and those are the questions I want to ask. So I'm going to drop him a line and see if uh, he wouldn't be amenable to uh, to coming on the uh, the Feel Your Fandom show. That's that's going to be something I'll take on in the next couple of days. See, that'd be funny, because I'd be the one asking the questions that everybody asks, and you get to ask the deep cuts. That'd be great. So I can't do a good yeah, uh, just... Jay Leno, though. <laughs> I just haven't known this guy for like 30 years, and uh, you know I'm a huge fan of him and his band, and, and we've had a, a number of chances to, to kind of catch up and talk about cool things, so I just, you know, it would be one of those, I would hope that he would kind of, wow, that's a, ooh, oh boy, nobody's ever asked me that before, that's the goal that I would go for, so uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, I suppose, but I'm going to take that on. That'd be great. So, yeah, um, I guess there's nothing to it but to get to it, just as a form yeah. of catching up. Uh, I did not anticipate spending my break like this, but here's how it happened. I, I, I woke up uh, one morning feeling kind of nauseous and sick and, 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 and throwing up a bit. And I fought through it enough to go to work. I, I got a call, and when you get the call, you got to go. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, I went to work. It was a little three or four hour uh, there and back trip. But I was miserable the entire time. And then I got home and it's nothing but throwing up again and nauseous again and, and awful. And oh, man. That proceeded into the night. And so I I texted my boss. I'm like, look, I can't come to work like this. I can't function like this. So I'm going to go to the ER and find out what's wrong. Get Maybe get some anti-nausea meds. So... Yeah. I did that, and in the ER, they were concerned enough to put me on an IV because I hadn't been taking in any food. I've been dehydrated from throwing up. And then they said, you know what? We're going to send you, because I'm with Kaiser Health. I went to the yeah. Kaiser Urgent Care. They're like, you know what? You need to go to the uh, your the actual emergency room at the hospital across the street. And I'm like, okay. So they checked me in at the urgent care or at the ER at the hospital where they summarily did tests like CAT scans and things like that and decided it was enough to admit me into the ICU. Oh, boy. So they put me into the ICU and it wasn't till like a day 
later. I was in the ICU for like almost two and a half days. And it wasn't until about a day later that I really truly got a handle on what was going on. Which was, I, I had a scab on my left arm that as I was driving, it's just kind of an absent-minded scratching at it kind of because I don't like scabs. They bother me. And just absent-mindedly picking at it and whatnot. I know, I know, you're not supposed to do that. Guess what? I know that now. For a fact. But, I had inadvertently opened it up and it got super, super, super infected. And so this infection under my arm had uh, triggered my body to go into what's known as diabetic ketoacidosis. And bum, for any bum, of you guys... Bum. Any of you guys out there tracking, ketoacidosis is what the basis of this keto diet is. And it's a way to trigger your body into feeding off of its own fat instead of feeding off of anything you feed it. So you eat less, but it, it works on devouring the fat cells in your body instead of anything you give it. It's a very risky diet, to say the least. I know it's a popular diet still. I don't know why. But especially for folks who have, like, pancreatic issues, if you have pancreatitis, if you have diabetes, these are things that they caution you against. Right. And so my body, unwillingly, and against my better, against my knowledge, against my wishes, decided to throw itself into ketoacidosis. And so my blood sugar spiked to an enormous level. Oh, and no. uh, I couldn't eat anything for, like, two, three, four days while I was in the hospital. They were dosing me up with insulin every hour to make sure that my uh, blood sugar count went down. And then they released me after two and a half days. I came home and I almost, I had to go right back to the ER a day later on Saturday. I was released on a Friday, went back on a Saturday. Had to go to the ER again because I still was feeling this extreme nausea and this, this need to vomit and just can't keep anything down and so they put me on anti-nausea meds and then they put me on an IV bag full of saline to get my my dehydration under control and so for the next week and a half following that I was attempting to eat like a liquid diet and just kind of keep things in me which was a real struggle uh, it, it's a really odd thing because you know I'm a dude who loves to eat Anyone who knows me knows that. I love to cook. I love to eat. I love to sample the tastes of everyone, everywhere. Yeah, that's, that's a boat we row together. Me that's compadre. my fandom. That's my fandom. I yeah. love food. So much so we've even talked about food on this podcast before. We did the Bob's Burgers episode. We're soliciting pie recipes all the time. I mean, you know, yeah. if, if everything is fandom, then fandom of food is the same thing. We talked about junk food and the junk foods we can't resist. And yeah, so I'm, I'm with you in that same uh, that same realm, my friend. Right, I mean, I even did a cooking show on YouTube for a while, and I mean, and it's just something that I really love to do, to do is to eat and cook and talk about food, and and for a week and a half, I was not able to eat. I was not able to Ugh. keep anything down, not even the liquid diet, because let me tell you, when you got to throw up and you've been eating nothing but a liquid diet, it comes out both ends, and it comes out both ends rapidly. Not, not to be gross or anything, but uh, yeah, sorry about that imagery, but uh, it was awful. And so, uh, after about a week and a half, I was starting to slowly be able to eat and feel better. And uh, then the next day was a Saturday. That was, my band had a gig in uh, Seattle. 
at a place called the Substation in uh, Seattle, northern Seattle. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Really good venue. But I started feeling like myself again. So what did I start doing? I started eating. I started drinking. And I started smoking. And I felt great all night. Until the next morning. Mm. When I felt like I was right back on it again. Right back on my bullshit. And uh, so I took it easy for another couple of days. And it, and it passed. And I went back to being able to, to eat bits. And, and, and work my appetite back up. And But I went to a check-in a couple of days after that. I'd lost 20 pounds. Hey-o. Holy in shit, like, my friend. In like a week. A week and a half. 20 pounds. And that's not good. I did not do it in a healthy fashion. I did not do it in a good way. But I, I'm now at the point where I'm trying to make positive changes. I'm, I, I've changed all my medications. I got all those updated. I'm trying to eat less junk food. I'm not going to say I'm eating no junk food because that would be a lie. And I'm not here to lie to you. I am still eating some of the stuff that I used to eat. But I am eating less of it. And I'm also eating more healthier options. Like, I've been taken to work with me uh, a Tupperware filled with sliced cucumbers and carrots. And um, uh, yesterday it was green peppers and, and, oh no, red peppers. Red bell pepper, carrots, cucumbers, and cherry tomatoes. And I just throw a little bit of Johnny's salt on top of that. For those of you on the East Coast, Johnny's salt is a fantastic uh, seasoning salt and born and bred up here in the Pacific Northwest. Fantastic good stuff. But a little bit of salt on that, or seasoned salt on that, and I just, it's like a fat Tupperware of, of all these vegetables that I just snack on during the day. Which keeps me from snacking on random other things like candy or or uh, too much bad shit. I've been eating more popcorn and less potato chips. I've been, you know, I quit smoking. Which is, again, I mean, I haven't smoked as long as my, my, my guitar player James. He said, if you quit smoking, I'll quit with you. And so I'm like, all right, bet. And so I'm handling it pretty well, I think. I still get the cravings. I still get the itch. I still want to do it, but I've been fighting it. He's turned into a cranky son of a bitch because he's been smoking <laughs> for 15 years. And uh, oh, he does not want to talk about it. He does not want no. to. He doesn't want the support group. He doesn't want the support circle, which I've been trying to be for him. And it just makes him crabbier. That and the 95-plus degree heat up here. Uh, and no AC in his house has turned him into quite the cranky little bitch. And so uh, I'm just going to let him let him do him and, and I'll do me. And I'll just trust that he's got his own best interest in heart because he knows. But even after, before I decided to quit smoking, they tasted bad. Like after being in the hospital, I don't know if it was something with the, the, the DKA, mm. but it tasted bad. And it went from like one day to the next. Like okay the one day, the next day. The smoke felt too thick and too cloying and too much. And I don't know if that was an effect of the of the sickness or not, but it sure was a great motivator to, to kind of kick it finally. So that has been my journey for this last couple of weeks. Other than that, uh, I got myself on a new schedule at work. I now have verified days off. I now have verified five-day-a-week hours. I am no longer on call. Which is muy bueno. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're recovering from something that's that much of an ass kick, you need to have <laughs> uh, be able to, to know when you're going to be able to rest. But yeah. you know, also speaking as somebody who uh, 
is also a musician and who has had to be the walking wounded at a couple of shows here and there. <laughs> I I, uh, I sang a show with COVID not long ago, not realizing I had it. And then the test came back, and I went, oh, that's why I was reaching for breath on some of those high notes. I have played gigs behind the drum set with a giant boot on a broken ankle, just uh, <laughs> being a little heavier on the kick drum for a night or yeah. six. Um, so that was fun. So I'm, I'm really glad that uh, your body was able to to help you to, to, to pull off that gig in Seattle. It cooperated oh, long enough let, to, let me to be tell able to you. get you up on stage and get it out. Let me tell you, I got up on stage, and, and this is all documented. Because this, we had some really nice guys uh, recording this set. And so a couple of guys recording the set on, on cameras and gimbals and all that. And so if you look on YouTube, you can find this substation set on YouTube. It's uh, Go to YouTube, type in Another Sentiment uh, Substation. All one word, Substation. But uh, the whole set's up there. And, and there's something you can't see is the first time I hit one of those long sustained notes... My body tried to shut down on me. It goes, Oh no. Nope, you're going to shit yourself right now. And so it's like, you know, like you get that pucker when, when that's going to happen. Your entire body just kind of yep. pulls in on itself. It's like, No, you're not. So you can't see. I will see not it, be shitting the, myself on stage in Seattle today. I will not. I refuse. Right. And I'm sitting there thinking that the entire time. And then I'm, I get off stage. I'm like, Okay, I got to go to the bathroom now. <laughs> it's like I, I couldn't oh believe how fucking close that was. Oh. It's like my body's like, ah, you want to pretend everything's good, huh? Sucker! We're gonna show you, and you're gonna learn today. You're gonna learn today. You're gonna learn today. Oh my gosh! But well, I for uh, one, I'm glad that you did not shit yourself on stage. I'm sure that you are also <laughs> uh, also glad you did not enormously. Shit on stage. So are the guys in the band, and also everybody in the uh, in the audience. Uh, so uh, yeah. I, that's that's a relief to hear. Probably not it's as a lot much of, of a relief as it was to get off stage and let it go, but, you know, <laughs> we do what we have to. The show must go on, man. Always. As Freddie Mercury once said, that's right. Show must go on. Show must go on. Yeah. Now, sure. uh... Now, uh, there were a couple of good things that happened in this, in this couple of weeks. Uh, my buddy Eric... Uh, who I get to perform uh, the wedding for them coming up. I get to uh, officiate his wedding next weekend as we as we record. Marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. Marriage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. Nice. And uh, so I get, I had to get... Uh, we all packed it up, me and, and like three of his buddies and him and his dad. We all kind of packed up and went down to Hillsboro, Oregon. We went to a, a Top Golf, which I had never been to a Top Golf. I'd heard about it, obviously. Uh, I am not athletic in any sense of the imagination. I, I nor I. Never, I hit the grass farther than I hit the ball the one time I've ever been golfing. <laughs> I, t I told him, I said the only golf I do is mini. So, same girl. My entire reason for being that day was to not fall off the upper deck um, <laughs> not end up in a YouTube video like by flinging my club out into the green or whatnot but it really was just a complete load of fun I've never I mean it's basically set up with the big nets around everything and and, and they've got targets in the green where uh, if you hit the targets you get points so it's like a video game and each oh, of the golf see now you're each, talking to my language 
Right, exactly that. Each of the golf balls has a tracker in it. So the second it leaves the tee, it's being tracked. And there's a monitor, or like there are 100,000 monitors around, but the two monitors in your area that will replay the course of the ball. So you can watch the ball go in case you lose it while you're hitting it. Because there's like 15 balls in the air at any given time. But um, yeah, so it ranks you. You get points depending upon which target you hit. And believe it or not, three of the five of these guys are, are avid golfers, and I beat them. I got no second shit. place on one of the games that we played, just from sheer hitting points. What an incredible Cinderella story. This unknown comes out of nowhere to lead the pack. Bad Augusta, he's on his final hole. And it just ended up being an inordinate amount of fun, and I'm definitely going to take the family to one of those and, and do that again because... Why not? I mean, you don't have to be good at it. You just have to not suck and throw the club. So, yeah, as long as you can not well, do that, you're like good to go. Yeah, it was fun. I, I've never played top golf. I don't golf either. I've never golfed in my life. I, I did have to hit a couple of balls in PE in high school, and that literally is the last time I picked up a club. But <laughs> uh, outside of mini golf, of course. But uh, I did get a chance to uh, to do a couple of things for the top golf in Vegas when I was at an agency out there and it it you know I, I I have to say in looking at it I thought well they've brought enough elements of kind of uh things that I am into it's not really mini golf it is big scale golf like you said but it's still there's enough you of have a no uh, walking around and yeah, there's enough of a competition and a sort of a, a, a even though golf is a game in and of itself, there's an, a, there are layers of it that are like other games that they brought into it. And I remember thinking at the time, well, that actually sounds like it might be kind of fun and interesting. I should really check that out at some point. I never did, but but based on that endorsement, I think it might be something I might have to check out at some point. And incidentally, we ordered food and beer and everything while we were there because, of course, we did. It's a bachelor party. Uh, that was the best chicken sandwich I've ever had, hands down, in my life. At a top awesome. golf in Hillsboro, Oregon. So no big kidding. shout out to them. The, 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 it was plump. It was juicy. It was crusty, crispy on the outside. It was fucking phenomenal. And well, I, I, I guess the the, is, the the stealth chicken wars have been going on with uh, Bojangles and Popeyes <laughs> and Chick Fil A, <laughs> Chick Fil A, and and Zaxby's and KFC and all the the chicken chains. Apparently, they've been stealthily won by the Top Golf in Hillsboro. So, Absolutely. hats off to you guys then. Absolutely. So, definitely planning to go back here rather soon with my wife and kids and uh, take them down for a day of fun and and uh, gives me an excuse to go by uh, Tigered, Oregon on the way out and hit my favorite Chinese spot from down there when I used to live down there. So it gives me a good excuse. So, uh, yeah. Only other thing I've mentioned and, uh, and the way of catching up on personal lives is I was sitting in my work vehicle yesterday. I take my glasses off my face to uh, wipe a smudge or a hair or a speck or something off of my glasses, and it snaps right in the middle. My, lens, my frame snaps right in the middle. And, uh, ah, bad times. Bad times. I had to have my uh, my lovely wife bring out my uh, contact lenses and just hope I didn't get called out during that time, and I didn't. So luckily the timing was perfect. But uh, I yeah, get a lot drive, of... It's kind of a prerequisite to see, I guess. Yeah, they kind of frown on uh, driving blind. Uh, yeah. So, so. But uh, I've ordered new frames, and I should get them within a couple of days, so... Well, before we yeah. get into the meat of the discussion today, there are a couple of small fandom things I feel like oh, it's a lot upon us to address. There's a lot. Yeah. We've got plenty. We gotta, yeah. We're going to keep this rolling, so. 
Yeah, we'll, we'll get to the, the, the meat of the matter here in a minute, but in the interim, during our, our hiatus, of course, uh, San Diego Comic-Con happened. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, and that is, of course, one of, along with E3 and, uh, you know, uh, some other big cons and conventions and things that happen in the world, uh, Comic-Con is kind of the biggie. That's the, the biggest comic book event that happens all year, any year. And yeah. because of the last couple of years of, of COVID kind of taking things down, I have some friends who work with with uh, Comic Con and, and do some organizational things, and and uh, they've been really bummed out. They've had to, oh yeah, they, they've had to take. They did the Comic Con at home. They made the best of it during the worst of COVID, but uh, this year Comic Con was back in full force. And of course, Marvel had their very famous Hall H panel this oh, year. Oh man. Uh, Oh, man, there's so much to dig into there. We won't even be able to get to it all. That could be a podcast in and of itself. But they announced uh, that um, the She-Hulk series, which debuts next month as we record this, probably not by the time you hear this because it is close to the end of the month, but it debuts on, I believe, the 17th of August. So pretty close after you're going to hear this. Or the 25th. No, 25th is uh, Lower Decks. My bad. Yeah, I think you're right. 17th. It's it's definitely in there, but uh, yeah, Lower Decks is the other one. But like, uh, so that between She Hulk, uh, Attorney at Law, and uh, Wakanda Forever, which comes out in November, Wakanda Forever. Kevin Feige has oh, and the trailer to that just as Chef's Kiss looks fantastic. Uh, it looks like they're they're doing uh, uh, honoring uh, the 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 death of both Chadwick Boseman and in universe also King T'Challa, uh, which is very sad. Um, obviously for so many reasons, but uh, Namor the Submariner makes his first appearance in this trailer, and he looks fucking fantastic, yep. um, which I just can't wait to check out what they're going to do with that. But Kevin Feige said that between... route with him. Which yeah, kind, kind of, of more sort of like, uh, like Mesopotamian Islander Aztec. almost. Yeah. yeah, they went with a kind of Polynesian uh, take on Namor, which I think is a very interesting choice, and I love what they're going to do with it. <clears throat> it looks like it's going to be great. And this will be the end of Phase 4. Um, and then phase five kicks into high gear. Um, oh gosh, I don't even all the stuff they talked about. There's a couple of new Avengers movies coming out. They're going to be in phase six. No, yep. that's phase five. Oh, End of phase it's five, so leading into phase six. Yeah, and then phase six, they finally made the announcement that we're going to be getting. Uh, they've alluded to it. They've hinted to it. We've known it was coming for a while, but now we know that phase six will begin with the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Which Kevin and Feige the first has time out, that Marvel's outright had said, their own Fantastic Four, yeah, right. And Kevin Feige's come out and, and outright said that it's not going to be an origin story. He wants to not do that. They're trying to find some kind of special way to introduce the team that's not yet another origin story. So it's be interesting to see what they uh, what they do with that and how they develop it. By now, of course, everyone out there knows either through seeing the movie or through spoilers, but. With Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, we got John Krasinski as Reed Richards of an alternate universe. And so that was mm-hmm. fun. It was fan casting to beat the band because everybody wanted John Krasinski as uh, Mr. Fantastic. And he fucking absolutely nailed it. And the smartest man alive, Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four. Hello, Stephen. Stephen, your arrival here confuses and destabilizes reality. The larger the footprint you leave behind, the greater the risk of an incursion. It was beautiful. So whether or not he's going to be the 616 universe's uh, Mr. Fantastic get is yet to be seen. But uh, he's still playing coy on uh, on social media, so I think that maybe it's still going to be him. Uh, there's been a rumor going around that uh, the Things actor has been revealed and might do a cameo in She-Hulk Attorney at Law. 
And of course, for those of you who might not know and might not want to be spoiled, cover your ears for three, two, one. How I Met Your Mother's Jason Siegel. So that could be no interesting. Shit. That could be interesting. And speaking of backdoor character introductions for things <laughs> that are going forward, the, the She-Hulk trailer, yeah, well, that's what they call it. That's just, that's not my term, but I'm just using the, uh, the, the industry lingo. But the uh, the She-Hulk trailer um, introduced us to, um, well, not introduced us to, reintroduced us to another attorney-at-law superhero, because we also found out that we're getting more Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio as Matt Murdock slash Daredevil and Kingpin slash Wilson Fisk in a new Hell series yeah. coming up. Uh, a new it's, it's going to be an 18 episode series they born again. 18 episodes Daredevil Born Again is yes. coming next year on Disney Plus I'm a really good lawyer and yes. holy shit pe- this, the, people wanted this We again we kind of knew on some level once Charlie Cox showed up in Spider-Man No Way Home that um, we were going to be kind of like blending the non-canon MCU TV stuff from Netflix with the canon stuff from both the MCU yes. and Disney Plus. We knew that to a degree, and with, of course, Kingpin showing up as the big bad villain in Hawkeye, uh, you know, they did soft introductions of both of those two, so uh, we, we kind of had some idea they were going to be using them as assets going forward, so an 18-episode series, which is great. I mean, super. Uh, you know, the, the, yeah, the traditional broadcast TV season is about 22 episodes, um, and streaming can go anywhere from like 6 to 10 to sometimes 12 if you're lucky. But uh, to get an 18-episode season with these two iconic actors in these two iconic roles mm. is something that I'm so looking forward to. And especially because that means they're going to be introducing some of the so-called street-level heroes back into the MCU, which I can't wait to see what they do with that. I can't so we didn't wait. get to see Daredevil's face, but we did get to see um, he, the he, he did costume show up. a little bit, yeah. Yeah, and it kind of looks like the original black and yellow costume, the old Hornhead costume a little bit, which might be an interesting take on the character, depending on whether or not they're going to continue with the character, or whether he's an alternate universe, Earth-616 versus whatever. Um, But either way, we get these actors back in the roles that they have become identified with, that they've done really well with, and I, for one, can't fucking wait to see more of that. Bring me Kristen Ritter back as Jessica Jones. Bring me Mike Coulter back as fucking Luke Cage. And let's, re- let's, and let's recast Iron Fist. Well, you know, I mean, hey, as long as we're going to be really breaking things down here, let's not, uh, yeah, nothing I didn't against really Finn care. Jones. Finn Jones did okay, it's just, but I wanted more than okay, you know? Yeah, and but, I really want to, you know, I'm, I'm excited for Fantastic Four, I'm excited for, for Daredevil, because Disney um, and Marvel have proven that, you know, whatever, regardless of whatever you think of them as companies, they know what to do with their own properties. And I, one of my biggest complaints about the, the Netflix series is was we've got these these powerful heroes. We've got, you know, a guy who's bulletproof and super strong. We've got, uh, you know, a guy who has, has trained his body to overcome his difficulties, and he's, he's an absolute ass-kicker. So, and we've got this other guy who, for better or for worse, is one of the best martial artists in the world. So how do we best use these characters in these ostensibly superhero shows? Well, let's make them navigate corporate intrigue and family drama. Yeah. Hey, I, you know, yeah. I, we didn't want to see that. We, you know, they should be out doing Avengers-level shit. Right, here's a martial artist who was minted in the mountains of, of a mystical land by a dragon. So let's bring him home and let's have him deal with like a hostile takeover of his family company. What the <laughs> fuck? I mean, you know, it bothered me. It bothered me a little bit. And the same thing with, with, uh, with Luke Cage. I mean, he is so symbolically important. He's so representational. You know, in the 70s, they didn't really know what to do with Power Man. They just needed a, an ostensibly superhero of color. So they kind of gave him some p- pretty embarrassing jive talk language, and they really did a lot. Sweet they, they Christmas. Do a lot of 
sweet Christmas. Right. They played into a lot of like tropes of like black exploitation cinema, which, you know, for better or for worse, it was the thing that they thought they needed to do at the time. But here we have in in twenty twenty two, where where we have all the political issues we have. Essentially, if we want to really break it down to brass tacks, we have a bulletproof black man. What a powerful symbol of, of Jesus Christ! Being I never able thought to, of that. You know, I mean, a bulletproof black man who can destroy anybody he wants to, but chooses not to. What an incredible metaphor for you know what what's happening with you know police brutality right now. I mean, there's so so fucking much you can do with that story and that character. So Absolutely. yeah, bring me back Mike Coulter as Luke Cage. I want to see it. I know he's moved on to other projects, but I know he has also much like Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio expressed an interest in getting back into that bulletproof skin again. So I think it'd be interesting to see. If they're going to go, because they're, they're essentially they're doing the same thing that Netflix did. Daredevil was the first hero to hit the screen on Netflix from that particular yeah. project. So throw a little maybe bit of that sweet Christmas them. money at him. Yeah, I mean Disney has it. Um, you know, but as long as we're talking about streaming stuff, there's two more things I want to get to real quick before we jump into the, the sure. main right, whatever topic. Uh, the, it's a catch-up uh, episode. Uh, yeah, it is. The the Roku uh, thing, I just read today, I'm, I'm a big Roku fan, I have a couple of Roku devices and TVs, and I'm a fan of Roku. Uh, they just announced a release date for the uh, Weird Al Yankovic, essentially the biopic, which I'm sure will be a big spoof like everything he does, and just a, a fictionalized looks, version. Looks but that's going to be coming out, yeah, I was, I was very skeptical about the casting of Daniel Radcliffe as much as I was the uh, casting of Michael Keaton as Batman, but it looks like, based on the trailers and based on the response to what's been happening, that may have been premature on my part, so uh, I'm I'm looking forward to that. But Roku also has announced a 25% reduction in their valuation due to circumstances that are behind the scenes in stock market stuff that I don't really understand and don't really care to, but um, that's kind of a big deal. So Roku, there are rumors that Roku may be overtaken by a competitor, they may be bought out by somebody, uh, Amazon, because Amazon also makes streaming TVs and has a streaming platform that they really push with their Fire TVs and Fire Sticks and whatnot. They're, they're trying to, uh, there's a, a rumor they may be overtaken by Amazon, or Microsoft is also apparently in the mix, I heard somewhere else. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that, but in terms of streaming, uh, again, it's way too early to say anything about it, but... We're one season, or excuse me, we're one episode away from the end of the newest season of The Orville, and it feels like it just flew past after as much anticipation as there was the last couple of years. I haven't watched last night's episode. Don't spoil it, but holy shit! I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. But holy ass! These episodes have been delightful. Yeah, you need to see the one that came out last night. I watched it already. I'm not going to say a goddamn word about it, but I'm just going to say that that Seth and the Orville team have continued. Their streak oh of putting on jaw-dropping television. They have done this episode such an amazing just... job of, of yeah. not only like keeping to their... They've, they've still kept to their comedy roots. They've really kind of... Yeah. They've, they've, they've pushed the fact that this is a sci-fi uh, series into hyperdrive. With this new version of uh, uh, New Horizons, if you want to call it that, the new Hulu yeah. version of it, they've been able to flesh out the characters more. They've been able to flesh out the scenes more they've been able to take and everyone was like pissed off oh they're not really going new places they're just retreading old storylines and everything but yeah they're able to take these storylines and really run with them instead of like having to uh jump around as much so they're giving it the time and attention that it needs the uh the interplay between uh uh, bordis and clyden and the inner interplay between the mocklins and the 
and the the planetary union and then just the things that they've done with Isaac this season it's just been so yeah the developing relationships good. between Charlie and Isaac and the developing relationship between Kelly and Bordis and all these amazing things oh. uh, but last night's episode you know they they have if if anybody has been skeptical about oh it's still just trek with dick jokes um it feels like all three seasons have been building towards last night's episode. And again, I won't ruin it. Oh shit! But there have been some momentous, universe-changing things that have more than. There's been a certain amount of question about whether or not they're going to go ahead with a fourth season. Um, and Seth MacFarlane has said, "Well, I'm going to leave that up to the fans. If we do good enough numbers, if Hulu wants more, uh, I'm about it." That we said this was going to be the last season, but they're they're making some moves and setting up some stuff that it's going to be necessary to have a fourth season. So. Uh, see it as soon as you can. You and I will talk about it offline at some point on the podcast. We'll talk about it once enough time for spoiler, spoiler moratorium has passed. But it's last true. night's episode, last night's episode put put in, put some pieces in place that have changed everything. So I'm I'm looking forward, uh, to, I'm looking forward to, to seeing what they do. As soon as we're done talking, I'm going to end up watching that. Yeah, and I so. can't wait to hear what you think about it because it's it's definitely one of those things that could be a podcast in and of itself. Just that episode. Wow. Okay. I'm here so good, for good it. Good times ahead for you, yeah. And, and speaking of Star Trek, since we're talking about the San Diego Comic-Con and whatnot, we, of course, yeah. got uh, the reveal that uh, Lower Decks is coming back for Season 3 starting on Woo-hoo. August 25th, which is going to be great. Uh, we just wrapped up the first season of Strange New Worlds, which was fucking amazing. Like, a Star Trek tour de force. One of the best Star Trek series to date. I really enjoyed it. Uh, and I Anson love Anson Mount, Mount being in oh. the uh, yeah he's he's uh, the the erstwhile and possibly future Black Bolt we don't know, um, but he also is showing up in the Star Trek universe as uh, as the new captain, joining mm-hmm. the ranks of the, uh, the all the captains of Trek's past and so that's been really really great to check out. They did a fantastic episode, which if you're not into Trek like Jim, I understand if you don't understand the reference, but they did a really good episode on uh, speculative futures. A little bit of a time travel, wibbly-wobbly bullshit, but the idea is that in this version of Captain Pike knows his future. Because of what happened on Discovery that introduced Captain Pike, he uh, knows that he is about seven years away from a near-fatal accident that is going to change his entire course of life. So he's been going out of his way to try and figure out how to change that, how to... Uh, stop that, how to affect a positive change and, and not have that happen. Which, if anyone knows anything about Star Trek canon, it has to happen. There's certain aspects of that that have to happen. And they played this episode in particular. I want to say it was the 8th uh, or ninth episode of the 10 in the first season. But uh, uh, they uh, addressed that in a way... Uh, with a little time travel, wibbly-wobbly, and uh, they showed uh, uh, a version of a TOS episode called Balance of Terror, in where the uh, Enterprise meets up with a secret Romulan ship, uh, which they've been at a Cold War with the Romulans for over 100 years, but they don't know what each other looks like. And so in Balance of Terror, we have uh, Kirk's Enterprise dealing with it. In this version, we have... Uh, Pike's Enterprise dealing with it because Pike's in this version of the future Pike didn't have that accident he's never taken out of command of Enterprise so he stays in command of Enterprise and Kirk never gets promoted to Enterprise and, and so it changes everything and we get to see what 
because we've always talked about the butterfly effect in in time travel shit. Mm-hmm. One small change affects large change, whether you can see it or not. And that's exactly what this episode's about. And so I finished with this episode. You go straight to watching Balance of Terror, and you could see where the writers just kind of paralleled each other. And it's fuck. It's the symmetry is so fucking amazing. And this show, this series, so far has been an absolute blast. Season two is obviously a go. Season three, I think, has already been approved. And we've got a fun little bit that was announced a couple days ago is they're going to do a crossover episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds and Star Trek Lower Decks. You almost phasered me! Calm down. It's set to, uh, it was, it was set to stun. I don't know quite how they're going to do that. Maybe they're going to get Tawny Newsom and Jack Quaid uh, in live-action versions of uh, Mariner and Boimler, uh, respectively. But uh, we're going to find out. I'm excited to find out. Um, this whole season of Lower Decks seems to have a uh, Star Trek uh, 3 kind of vibe to it, which is, the, uh, of course, the search for Spock, where uh, Kirk and, and, and crew steal the Enterprise from Dry Dock to go and rescue Spock. On the Genesis planet. Spoiler for like a 30-year-old movie, but whatever. Um, <laughs> so it's got that real vibe to it to try and go rescue uh, Captain Freeman. So I'm very, very interested, very, very hyped to see that. It's been a really fun, fantastic show so far. So Star Trek Picard coming out for its final season. And all they did was release a teaser for that that just showed the future versions of all the main character cast that's going to be in it. From Picard himself to Worf to Troy to uh, Jordy LaForge and, and Riker and Crusher and, and and Seven of Nine and Rafi. They're all going to kind of showed where they're at now. And it's super exciting because it looks like Worf is wearing a captain's uniform. He's got Ooh. that that uh, that uh, Silver Fox uh, Klingon daddy vibe going on. And... Um, Jordy is looking great, and, and Seven of Nine's wearing a Starfleet uniform now uh, with command rank. And so I'm really, really, really excited to see where they go with this final season of Picard. So, anyways, Yeah, we've seen I... some pictures, some promo shots. Uh, there was a, a behind-the-scenes promo shot, I, I think it might have come from Comic-Con, of um, Patrick Stewart and Gates McFadden. And they mm-hmm. just, they're looking healthy and happy and wonderful and... And uh, it's really nice to see that uh, they're both, uh, you know, back in the fold and doing some great work. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, and I saw a picture also of um, <clears throat> Gates McFadden and uh, and um, Will Wheaton. They must have run into each other at some point and threw a big hug. I and, mean, you know, it's my, it's just, she's still my TV mom. So yeah, absolutely. it was just really neat to see that. <laughs> really yeah, neat to and- see that. And speaking, again, of, like, timey-wimey, multiverse shit, I finally sat down a couple of days ago and watched Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, which, I've not seen that yet. Well, then again, it's not something I'm going to spoil, but I'll just tell you that it's an absolute mindfuck from frame one to, to, to roll credits. Um, but uh, Michelle Yeoh, who, again, is just one of the most uh, underrated actresses that we have in, 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 in entertainment. Philippa Giorgio um, from Star Trek Discovery, by the way. Yeah, and also, um, you know, uh, from, from Shang-Chi and uh, Crouching Tiger, just one of these legendary actresses who never She's gets fantastic. the credit she deserves. I love Michelle and Yeoh. also, what I loved seeing was the the return of Kihi Kwan, uh, who was of course short round in uh, the Indiana Jones the Temple of Doom, and uh, and Data, 
uh, from Goonies. Uh, he's made his return. And I've watched some interviews because these guys got interviewed quite a bit around the release of this film. Mm-hmm. All the principal actors. And um, it was a really kind of a sad thing because Ki Hai Kwan, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, I saw him on. And, and Jimmy said, well, you know, you kind of retired from acting there for a while and moved behind the camera to do some, uh, some, some fight coordination and some behind-the-scenes work. And I always figured that was like, well, I'm a child star. I, I, I acted when I was a kid. I wanted to kind of grow up and move on and do other things. Right. But he said, well, that really wasn't a choice on my part. I really wanted to keep working, but there really weren't roles uh, for young Asian actors in Hollywood in the 80s and early 90s. So it wasn't a choice for me. I wanted to stay in the industry. I wanted to keep working. So I was able to trade on the martial arts training that I have to do some some fight coordination and choreography and that kind of thing. But, right. um, you know, now we're in a place. He said he, he made the point that he was... Jealous as hell, envious, watching uh, Crazy Rich Asians, because obviously he hadn't been in the business for a while, in front of the camera at least, so he didn't get the call for that, but he said he's watching uh, this, he said he was in tears watching this this full Asian cast tell this this story about the Asian experience, and he said, and I, I called my agent the next day, and I said, I want to get back in, and he said, within two weeks I got the call for everything everywhere all at once, and I was back in front of the camera again, so, and the audience just erupted in, in, in applause, because, I mean, it's, I don't think it's it's too, a bridge too far to say that, um, you know, a short round in data, despite being slightly problematic now because of some pretty ugly Asian stereotypes, uh, they're still beloved characters in geek canon, so I, I really was very happy to see Kihi Kwan come back out and, and do some more great work, and he is phenomenal in this movie. He's just, I mean, it's it's really Michelle Yeoh's movie, uh, and he is ostensibly a supporting character, but he still steals every scene he's in, and, and just brings a lot of energy, comedy, gravitas when appropriate, which again, if you've seen the movie, you, you kind of know what I'm talking about, and if you haven't, it's going to become immediately clear, so definitely check that out, but um, expect to, to plan on a rewatch. Because there's a lot of stuff that you're not going to catch the first time. I, I'm going to have to see it again because I did look at a couple of YouTube breakdowns and a couple of articles that said here's some things you missed and some things you might have have, have uh, not realized were significant. So, it, but it's a great movie. It's a great movie, and I do recommend checking it out. Just it's it's one of these indie films that doesn't necessarily feel any obligation to adhere to conventional storytelling structure or tropes. So be ready for that. But that's all I'm going to say about it. Definitely worth a watch. I'll put that on my list for sure. Well, all of that. Set aside, not the topic. I just I knew there was going to be quite a bit of catch up we had to do because it's been a very geek heavy couple of weeks, in addition to the personal life bullshit. So, but you can't have a Comic Con come by without mentioning the fruits of said Comic Con. Oh, another aside. God damn it, Stray came out for the PlayStation. Yes, have you played it? I bought it. I haven't dug into it yet. I signed up for the second tier of PlayStation Plus or whatever the fuck they're calling it now because it comes with that tier. And I already had, like, because they, they just split PlayStation into tiered systems. Uh, it's basically it used... Game Pass now for PlayStation, right? Yeah. Uh, and so my, I had I had the same PlayStation Now membership, which is just the one membership, for like, I bought two years at a time. Or I bought a year, and then I got the bundle with my PlayStation 5, so that tacked on another year. And so, I've had it for a while, but now it tiered off, and it puts you at the lowest tier for that. But if you sign up for the next upper tier, they give you the game straight. It's like on their Game Pass thing. So, oh my god, this game is fucking beautiful. One of the highest rated games of the year, if not the freaking decade. It's gorgeous. It's absolutely wonderful. Um, I'm looking forward to digging into it then. My kids just love sitting there watching me play it. 
and my daughter's pissed I won't let her play it. I said, nobody's playing it until I'm done with it. You guys aren't going to spoil this for me. So, uh, Someday you'll be old and you'll be able to buy all the video games you want. And you'll be able to just play them on the inside of your eyelids with the neural connection link. So just fuck you and let me, get, let me have this. Speaking of that, uh, friend of the program, Frankie Huertas, uh, who's been on the show quite a number of times uh, in the yeah. earlier seasons. Uh, I was talking to him about his uh, TikTok the other day. And uh, because he, he started magically appearing on my TikTok stream, even though I didn't know he was doing TikToks. And he popped up. I'm like, oh, shit, I know that guy. And so uh, I was talking to him about how we've talked about doing uh, TikToks for the Feel Your Fandom podcast and mm-hmm. uh, what that might end up looking like. And, and I'm, what I'm kind of feeling like it's going to look like is maybe doing some live streaming of retro video games. Uh, I kind of got a segment I'm putting together called Nintendo Hard where I go through and try to uh, uh, wax on old Nintendo games and Game Boy games and things like that and try to to show what Nintendo Hard really was. <laughs> uh, Time to fire up Battletoads in the speeder bike level. Right, or the old Ninja Turtles game. Jesus. But uh, I was talking, here we come. I was talking to Frankie, oh God. And we were talking, and uh, I had talked to him about his Oculus at one point, because he has the Oculus Quest 2, or the Meta Quest 2, or whatever yeah. they're calling it now. And uh, I was like, that'd be fun to do some streaming of Oculus stuff, too. He's like, you want it? I'm like, yeah, I want it. And he's like, yeah, come get it. So now I've got the Oculus Quest 2, uh, which I am have yet to really dig into because being nauseous and playing on a VR system seems like a really bad idea. Uh, yeah, but now that I'm uh, a bit healed and a bit better, uh, um, I got Beat Saber installed. I'm going to try and see about there's a way you can hack Beat Saber to uh, add your own music. So I'm looking at, at trying to add custom songs and everything to it. But I'm thinking about doing some streaming uh, with the Feel Your Fandom uh, 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 page on TikTok and see what that looks like. So if anyone out there listening to this has any ideas for your favorite Nintendo hard game, drop me a line and I'll put it on the list and we will make it happen. Somehow, some way, we will make it happen. So, anyway... Not the topic. Again. I just keep getting sidetracked. There's so much shit that happened. We never do that around here. No, not at all. But uh, what I just kind of wanted to address with you, um, uh, dear listeners, and you, Jim, in particular, uh, we had a couple of big announcements over the course of the last couple of weeks regarding uh, the grassroots campaign and effort to get the Snyder Cut released originally, and... Some very interesting things have cropped up regarding that. That uh, what looks like, for all intents and purposes, that for Batman v Superman and potentially for uh, the Snyder Cut version of Justice League, that uh, Zack Snyder may have employed uh, an advertising agency to generate false interest in these grassroots quote unquote campaigns to generate buzz. Uh, and for the up- Snyder Cut of the Justice League movie. Right, and so they're saying uh, possibly upwards of 13% of all engagement with that root, that grassroots campaign was bot-generated. And uh. so that puts a real black eye on the whole DCEU thing. And, and, and I've kind of had this in mind for quite a while. There's been this real trend towards directors cut this and directors cut that. And, oh, let's release the... The ire cut of Suicide Squad, and everyone's bugging Taika Waititi. Hey, when are we going to get the, the 
the director's cut of Thor 4, and and he very famously came out and said, not, you're not. You get what you got. That's what you get. Yeah. And he's very anti-director's cuts. Now, I've only ever seen director's cuts in a couple occasions where it actually benefited the movie. And, and I'm going to say it. Justice League was one of them. Now, I wasn't a big release the Snyder Cut version guy, but with all of the different drama that took place between uh, uh, Zack Snyder having to leave for his personal tragedies and then Mm -hmm. hiring Joss Whedon and having Joss Whedon come in and just completely botch the the tone of the movie and apparently just be a humongous douchebag to people on the movie, I, for one, wanted to see what Snyder's original take would have been had there not been any meddling with... Uh, DC upper management and Joss Whedon in particular. Uh, that said, it still wasn't great. I mean, it was okay. It was certainly a different change in tone of the movie. But it was better uh, than the Whedon version. That's that's not, true. I think, in that's, dispute for anybody who's a fan of these films. Right. And in addition, uh, the only other one I can really think of as a director's cut, quote-unquote director's cut, was uh, Blade Runner. Uh, and there mm-hmm. was a lot of studio interference back then when the original Blade Runner was released. Uh, they took out the uh, narration, they changed some of the tone, and it just was completely indistinguishable from the original movie. And so the director's cut of Blade Runner has always been kind of uh, uh, floated around as being the better version of that movie. I get that. But the fact of the matter is, is there's been so much call for director's cut this and director's cut that, that it seems like it's a bit toxic after a while it's like well they're just people are just not yeah. satisfied with what they get they say oh well, there's always got to be something better and and i'm i for one i'm kind of tired of it i wanted to kind of get your take on director's cuts what do you think well i think it really it ties into the same thing that we talked about before and several times we've touched on toxic entitled fandom on this podcast because it keeps coming up as an issue that poisons the well for a lot of different uh, sort of geek properties, whether it's video games or movies or what have you. And you're right. I think people are, once something is released into the public consciousness and once the fandom seizes upon it, they assume some sort of level of ownership over it, even if it isn't theirs, especially if it isn't theirs in some cases. So you do have people that are just clamoring for this alternate take because they feel like what we got didn't satisfy what our preconceived notions were. We had a vision of what we wanted this thing to be, and when it came out, it wasn't that. So I think it's pretty complex psychologically. I think everybody kind of, everybody, and this is kind of true, I agree with this. I've heard the the, the idea that every kid is a, is a creative until you take their crayons away and make them do like math or, you know, engineering or something or whatever else. And um, yeah. I'm, I agree with that to a degree. So everybody... You can sit down and watch a kid play with Legos or action figures and catch right. that. Yeah. So everybody, I think, has a creative streak within them. And so everybody has this idea of what they wanted something to be. If you're, especially if you're super into something, like if you're a big fan of DC oh, or if you're a big Star fan Wars. of Marvel or whatever, yeah. Star Wars, exactly, Star Trek. You have this idea of what you want something to be, based on what it is that you've always wanted to see, and you put a lot of hope and a lot of um, sort of preconceived notions into whatever you hear is coming out. So when it comes out and it isn't exactly what you wanted in your head, you think to yourself, I could have done a better job with that. Whoever the director is probably could have done a better job with that because it was their vision to begin with. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they, they sort of think there's got to be a better version out there. But I think fundamentally that is a, a misunderstanding of what the filmmaking process is. 
Right. Because I'm not going to pretend like I know any better than most, but I do know a little better than most because I did spend about 11 minutes in Hollywood trying to be a screenwriter. <laughs> and so I have at least a little bit of transparency to the process. Plus, I've worked in creative fields my entire life, so I, am, I understand the separation of labor. And that's a pretty key concept as it ties into all this. The separation of labor. Everybody that works on a creative project, especially if it's a team project, whether it's like putting together a catalog like I used to with a bunch of editors, photographers, and artists, and writers, and other people, or whether it's making a movie where you have a director, you have a screenwriter, you have actors, you have editors, you have all these people who have a specific job, and they're very good at that job. You don't get to be the editor on a Star Trek movie unless you've done some work. It's pretty rare. Um, there are stories of first-time directors knocking out of the park or unknown actors being cast in a big role and just absolutely wowing everybody out of nowhere and becoming what they call overnight successes. But for right. the most part, if you're working on a large-scale, full-release studio Hollywood film, you don't get that job unless you've already got some work under your belt. So you know what the hell you're doing. Right. So to sit there and say that the director could have done a better job than whoever edited it in some cases, uh, like you said, with the Snyder cut of Justice League or with the Ridley Scott cut of, of Blade Runner, there are enough examples out there to indicate that sometimes that opinion has merit. But for the most part, any movie that you see is going to have been cut by an editor whose job that is, who's got a lot of experience understanding the director's vision, the screenwriter's idea, if there's any source material, if it's based on something else like a Marvel DC or Trek movie would be. Um, and and they, they factor all of that in when they're, they're crafting what we see on the screen, the final version of the story. It really right. is like a jigsaw puzzle or like a Lego kind of a thing where you've been supplied all the pieces, you've got a diagram and a schematic to work from, you just need to put them together. And so I don't think that the editing process is necessarily as creatively removed from the filmmaking process and the writing and, and directing process as a lot of people believe, unless there are cases where it has been documented that it is. And those studio are cases like the Snyder Cut. Like that, interference, yeah. yeah. Studio interference or another director having to step in and take over because of problems. Those are, I think, the only instances where it's necessarily, or not even necessarily, or even uh, potentially worth it to say, hey, somewhere along the line, something got corrupted in the storytelling process, and the person whose quote-unquote vision it was didn't get a chance to really put the story on the screen that he or she would have wanted to, and in that instance, perhaps it might be a valid gripe. But That's I think fewer and to sit there and between, say, though, I think. Yeah, exactly. Sit there and, and, and petition Taika Waititi to, uh, to, to release the, uh, the director's cut of Thor... Essentially, that's what happened, because, I mean, there wasn't any disconnect in the storytelling between the, the powers that be at Marvel, Kevin Feige, and so forth, uh, versus the person they entrusted to sort of champion that, that property, i.e. Taika Waititi, or whether it's the, the people who are in the movie taking his direction, or the editor who is working from that direction also to put together the movie. I think people have this idea in their head that director's cut is a magic term, and it's a, a holy grail that will give them the version they've always wanted, that they kind of crafted in their head going into a given movie. But I think <clears throat> in a lot of instances, it's not necessarily an applicable thing to ask for uh, because most movies that we see pretty much are the director's cut because they work very closely with the team. The only time where I think that's valid, again, is whether there's a, there, there's a rift in the creative process somewhere and whatever the director may have wanted to see, may have wanted to present, did not for some reason or another wind up being the final product that we were served. 
Right, but this 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 whole outcry for everything to have a director's cut. Oh, we need the Justice League director's cut. We need the Suicide Squad director's cut. Oh, we no, want to no. see the director's cut where you put eight minutes of the Joker back into the Suicide or Suicide Squad. It's like, no, we don't. Mm. We don't need no, we that. Don't. I'm just gonna hurt you, really, really bad. I mean, I get that no. you want, but this you don't always get what you want. And we've gotten into this age of entitlement with uh, being fans. Yes. Is we're so spoiled for choice and we're so spoiled for content that we get this feeling of entitlement where it's like, oh, well, uh, I didn't like Ray Skywalker, so I want you to change this. And I, I don't like this and I don't consider this canon. It's like, well, you're not the guy who gets to make those decisions, you know? Yeah, um, it's not yours. Whether you like it or not, yeah, it's, it's yours to consume. <clears throat> But it wasn't your idea. Now, another thing I want to make sure I mention is I'm a huge fan of the extended versions of the Lord of the Rings movies, for instance. That's different. That's not studio interference. That's the cuts that they had to make to fit a normal... Uh, I say normal. It was still one of the longest fucking movies ever put out in the theaters. But uh, each That's... of the Lord of the Rings movies had all this extra content that they had to cut for time. And so that was kind of refreshing to see that put back in the movie. And I'm... I truly believe that the uh, extended versions are the versions of those movies, but be that as it may, there's such this, it's, it's, it's almost toxic in and of itself, this outcry for director's cuts of every goddamn thing under the sun, and I don't think uh -huh. it's necessary, and I do think that it's largely a purview of these, these fandom, nerd fandom-based movies. Now, you don't see, like, people going, oh, I want Garden State, the director's cut, or I want, uh... <laughs> You know, Crazy Rich Asians, the director's cut, you know. No, you don't see that. All you see it is with, uh, like, sci-fi movies or with uh, uh, fantasy movies or this, that, and the other thing. Because you want to see people, the, the people who are fans of these movies are very vocal, very rabid, very mm -hmm. opinionated. And that's what I'm trying to get at is I think that there is this feeling of entitlement and this opinionated attitude that, a lot of fans have, and I myself have had but previously in the past before I made this decision to be a more accepting and open person. I'm not saying you guys are completely wrong. I'm not trying to uh, browbeat anyone into trying to be the kind of fan that I am. I know that's certainly not my place. All I can do is express my opinion, and, 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 and my opinion is that this kind of borders on toxic fandom. This borders on mm -hmm. gatekeeping fandom, which is not yes. good for anybody. You know, no, people it's get really not what we do around here. No, and so uh, I wanted to bring that up, and I kind of wanted to bring that up to you, uh, my listeners, my viewers, my friends, my audience. I want to find out what your take is on the whole director's cut debacle. Do you feel like there's too much of it? Do you feel like there's any kind of roots in in uh, positivity that we can uh, pull from this that maybe I'm just not seeing? Let us know. There's a couple of different ways you can hit us up. You can always hit us up on our Facebook page, which is, of course, facebook.com forward slash fuel your fandom. Uh, you can always send us an email, the good old-fandom@gmail.com. Uh, feel your fandom at gmail.com. 
or you can hit us up at the backup Gmail address at fyftalentbooking at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at fuel underscore your. You can find us on Instagram at, at fuelyourfandom. And as always, we're still taking donations for the Fuel the Future program to get comics into the hands of underprivileged kids. We're on Cash App, Venmo, and PayPal at, at fuelyourfandom. And we love to see you support the kids. And, of course, you can always find us all the places you find fine podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We're on iHeartRadio. We're on Audible. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple and Google Podcasts. But however you find us, we're always thrilled you do. And we are happy that you found us, especially for this episode after our eventful break and our little <laughs> summer hiatus. So uh, welcome back. We're, we're glad that you're here. And we hope you will continue to join us as we... Uh, we plow through and, and, and come up with new fun stuff to talk about uh, to round out this season. Absolutely. Now, I'm looking forward to the rest of the season. I've had enough of a break. I miss these conversations. I miss talking yep. to you, Jim. I miss talking to you, my listeners. And so I'm really happy and, uh, as the kids say, chuffed to be back in your ear holes. And uh, let us know what you're excited about as well. Like, what did you learn recently in this last couple of weeks? Like, Comic-Con stuff or movie announcement stuff. They had a really banging trailer for the new Dungeons & Dragons movie, which absolutely yes. looked fantastic. Chris Pine in that. Speaking of Star Trek, Six Degrees. Renee Jean Page. Oh, he looked great. He looked great. Yeah. I mean, if that's what he left uh, Bridgerton for, then that's that seems like that might have been a good choice. Not that I'm pissing on Bridgerton, but, you know, people got to move on in their careers and do other things. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, so much happened. And so uh, I knew this was going to be mostly a catch up episode. We had a lot to talk about, but I wanted to sprinkle in a little bit of a topic too. So uh, it felt a little more like normal, but. And the last thing I'll say on the uh, director's cut phenomenon is uh, I'm not watching cats. So they come out with the butthole cut. That's a hard (laughs) line I'm taking. That's a hill I'm going to die on. (laughs) The butthole cut. That would be great. Give us the butthole cut. (laughs) You see Judy Dench just walking around with her cat butthole in the air. I'm sorry, Ian McKellen, Dame Judy Dench, Dame Judy, that, and Sir Ian McKellen. You're Sir right. Yeah, I, I can't drop. So that much star power for this god awful movie. I goddamn just. Uh. And they actually got kind of a director's cut because they had to go and edit it on the fly and release it to theaters as they were going. They I sure know that, did. that was like a special <laughs> effects thing, but. I mean, a lot of movies kind of suck in retrospect. I mean, not that Star Wars ever sucked, but George Lucas going back in and updating the, uh, the the special effects. Controversial for some, good for others, but whatever. But there are a few movies that suck so much out loud that they actually edit them and push out a new cut while they're in their theatrical releases. So that's that's something that had to happen. Something to be said about digital releasing, I guess. You can do that. You can't exactly uh, upload changes to a 35mm film reel. So, Oh, speaking of which... Clerks 3 trailer dropped while we were on hiatus. And I know that you're a fan of Kevin Smith. I'm a huge fan of Kevin Smith. Very much so. watched that about six dozen times in a row, basically. And I immediately went out and bought tickets for the convenience uh, tour. Which is uh, him going around and showing the movie with him in the theater and then answering a Q&A afterwards and... Absolutely, me and uh, I got me and Lee tickets to go see that when it comes to uh, the Neptune in Seattle. Oh, I take the... it back. I didn't get to, I didn't get convenience tour tickets. I, I just went for the Fathom events. There's a local theater by me that's playing it uh, during the limited theatrical release, and I got a couple of tickets about a week apart to check that out. I'm not lucky enough that the actual convenience tour is making a stop anywhere near me, so I'm gonna just sit here and burn and then be uh, over that for you. But I'm happy that you get a chance to do it. And I'll I will take expect lots the full report. I will take lots of yeah. pictures. Yes. 
Uh, maybe I can get something else signed by him while I'm there. That'd be great. But, uh, well, anyways, uh, so lots going on. But let us know what you think. Uh, let us know what what shit you heard about for Comic-Con or whatever a sort of nerdery uh, popped into your periph that you want to talk to us about. Uh, maybe we could talk about it on the podcast. But I know there was so much that was released that we couldn't possibly have talked about it all. So We'll get to it. Let us know. We'll get to it because we definitely want to address your fandoms as well as our own. So, But on behalf of Jim and I, I want to say thank you once again for putting the few of your fandom podcast directly into your warm, soft ear holes. And I want to remind you what I remind you every time is that everything is fandom. And fandom is everything. Take care, you guys. <laughs>